Welcome back to Get Psych Gen Psych, an educational podcast where we talk about the basics of psychology to prepare you for your AB or BS Psych journey. My name is Mild, and in partnership with Philippine Normal University's Psychology and Counseling Society, today's topic is Research Methods in Psychology. Don't forget to subscribe to PNUPCS social media portals for more updates on our podcast. That's PNU Psychology and Counseling Society on Facebook at PNU Psych Council on Instagram and Twitter. If you like this podcast, hit like and subscribe. Let's get started. When we watch television or scroll on our social media accounts, there are several things we encounter. It involves updating us on the current situations, new inventions and discoveries, and preventive plans and treatments. Have you ever wondered how these people come up with the information we are receiving? Or have you thought about how theories in different fields like psychology were formed? Let us know the answer as we continue with our topic for today. The information we can grasp from different platforms specifically regarding mental health and theories in psychology involves research. Research follows the scientific method of providing evidence to a certain educated guess or what we call hypothesis. So, doing research involves observation, making hypothesis, data gathering, analysis, and providing conclusion. Now, The big question is, why do we need to conduct research? First, according to Lally and Valentin French in 2018, it investigates issues that have implications for everyday life and provides solutions. This is referred as applied research. Let's say for example, the work of Nesayan, Hosseini, and Asadi Gandomani in 2017 entitled The Effectiveness of Emotion Regulation Skills Training on Anxiety and Emotional Regulation Strategies in Adolescent Students. This study may bring an impact to people, especially those who are struggling with anxiety and emotion regulation, as well as therapists conducting the said training. Research also helps us stand with our beliefs or break our biases as it gives us objective results from the data we gathered. Let's take a quick look back on the history of psychology where trepanning was used to treat mental disorders. Imagine, if present counseling and psychotherapy practices do not exist, every person diagnosed with mental health condition would have a hole in their skull. Research is also important for its results can be generalizable, therefore applicable to many. This will take effect when research is thoroughly analyzed and with good number of respondents. Through this, the study conducted can contribute to the body of knowledge of a certain population focused on the research. Now, in conducting research, it is important to take note of the following general principles. 
The first principle is establishing the conceptual and operational definition of variables. When we say conceptual definition, it is a typical definition of the variable which may come from the concepts of a theory. Operational definition, in contrast, tells how you may measure the variable in the study. Let's say for example, I will have a research about the relationship of self-efficacy in doing exercise. I will get my conceptual definition of self-efficacy from Albert Bandura's self-efficacy theory. This refers to an individual's belief in their capability to accomplish necessary behaviors to perform a certain task. On the other hand, my operational definition for self-efficacy would refer to individuals' confidence in doing exercise for a certain period of time despite of one's mood and difficulty of exercise routine. After establishing the conceptual and operational definition of variables, a researcher must choose a sampling method. This principle talks about how the researcher will get or choose participants. In research, samples are used and not the entire population. When we say population in research, it means the entire group of individuals to be considered in your study, while sample means a part of your population. So, sample is a representative of your population. When selecting and using samples, the researcher assumes that these number of people with certain characteristics will have results that applies to the whole population. For example, the population would be individuals going to gym in Manila. So the researcher may get sample participants among gyms in Manila, which may vary from age and gender. So the question now is, how will the researcher choose the participants? The researcher may choose participants through several sampling techniques. The first and the most preferred sampling technique is random sampling. It is often referred to as the fishbowl technique. In this sampling method, every individual has an equal chance to be picked. The more random the sample is, the lower the possibility that the result would be different from the whole population. Thus, random sampling is suitable for generalizing. The next sampling technique is convenience sampling. This technique is the easiest to do because whoever is available can be selected to be a participant. But, the results may not be generalizable. For example, whoever comes first to the gym and agreed to participate in the study. Next is stratified sampling, where subgroups in the population are represented fairly in the study. Let's go back to my earlier example in sampling. The population of a research is gym goers, so in stratified sampling, the researcher may randomly select from different genders across specific age range. Next is stratified sampling, where subgroups in the population are represented fairly in the study. 
let's go back to my earlier example in sampling. The population of our research is gym goers. So in stratified sampling, the researcher may randomly select from different genders across a specific age range. The last sampling technique is purposive sampling. Here, the researcher would intentionally select participants based from a set of criteria. For example, the researcher's criteria would be a regular gym goer who have at least one year experience of going to gym for workout and is following a certain diet plan. So, there you have it, the different sampling methods in conducting research. The last general principle is eliminating biases and expectations. Before conducting the actual data gathering, the participants are informed about the nature of the research, so they somehow have a hint of what outcome the researcher wants. On the other hand, the researcher may also unconsciously make the participant feel what the researcher wants them to respond. This may affect the way they give their answers. So, the researcher should make a move on how to eliminate or at least minimize the mentioned scenarios. They may have an observer who is not aware of the nature of the study to give an objective observation or create a rubric when the researcher is observing an action or performance. These are just examples. But you may think of other alternatives for your research to be objective. Now, let's move on to the different methods of research where we can explore how research can be conducted. We will be tackling about three methods in research, descriptive research, correlational research, and experimental research. Let's start with descriptive research. This research method is designed to describe current thoughts, feelings, or behavior of individuals. This has three types, namely case study, survey, and observation. Case study is an in-depth study of an individual or group. The usual way of gathering data in case study is through interview about the real-life experiences of the participants. Let's take my thesis as an example of case study. Here, I collected experiences of guidance counselors in facilitating counseling with individuals with hearing loss. Next type of descriptive research is survey. This involves asking fixed questions to participants through questionnaires or interview as well. However, Surveys usually come in questionnaire format because it can save time. In doing surveys, the researcher must consider the language of the questions. It must be appropriate and understandable for the age group of the participants in the study. Next is the seriousness of the participants in answering the survey. Observation comes along with survey to not contaminate the data by answers given carelessly. 
One good example of survey is from a fast food restaurant to evaluate their services. So let's continue talking about observation as a type of descriptive research. This aims to see how individuals behave in a natural setting without knowing that the participant is being observed. This is done to monitor the behavior of the participant without pretension because of the presence of a known observer. Let's move on to the next research method which is correlational research. This method of research aims to measure the relationship between two variables of the study. For example, the relationship between coping efforts and optimism of Filipino teenage mothers. Variables in the study, which are coping efforts and optimism, can have a positive, negative, or linear correlation. Positive correlation happens when the variable change in the same direction. For example, if coping efforts increase, then optimism also increases. On the other hand, negative correlation happens when variables change in the opposite direction. So for example, if coping efforts decreases, optimism will increase, or vice versa. However, when variables show linear correlation, meaning there are no changes among the variables. So now let's talk about experiment. This last research method is different from the first two because here, the researcher can control the variables. There are two types of variables, which are independent and dependent variables. Independent variable is the variable that researchers can change to see its effect, while dependent variable is the variable that will be observed when independent variable is changed. One classic example of the experiment is Pavlov's classical conditioning on dogs. He used the bell as the independent variable while salivation as the dependent variable. So when the bell rings, the dog will begin to salivate. There is what we call the experimental group where participants in this group are exposed to independent variable. And we also have the controlled group where participants in this group are not exposed to independent variable. These groups were formed to compare the differences when one is exposed or not to the independent variable.